The sacred writings of the Baha'i Faith teach that music is a ladder for the soul. My name is Jack Gordon, host of Interfaith-ish, and on this ongoing series of conversations that I'm calling Soul Ladder Music, I invite you to climb with me as we hear songs and stories from a diverse array of musicians who connect sound and spirit. Eric Harper is an Emmy Award-winning musician whose compositions have appeared in hundreds of films and episodes of TV. But before all that, Eric spent his teenage years learning from masters of classical guitar in Portugal. I became familiar with Eric's music as a fellow member of the Baha'i community and immediately connected with his approach to setting prayers from the Baha'i faith over exciting rhythmic beats. In our conversation, Eric candidly shares stories about his struggles with mental and emotional health, questions of faith and doubt, and how he is always striving for his music to stir people to action and feel better about themselves and their relationships. I appreciate Eric's honesty, his vulnerability, and the surprises he drops in along the way. Enjoy my conversation with Eric Harper. time that that I I heard about your music and heard about you was like way back in 2008 when you um released your your album uh Rompera Madrugada yeah so that album featured a number of prayers from from the Baha'i tradition from the Baha'i writings you know set to these gorgeous arrangements that you do in in your you know classical uh Portuguese Spanish guitar style yeah um, my wife and I, you know, we would listen to that album endlessly. Oh, thanks. And so, you know, I really appreciate the contribution that you've you've made there. But also since then, you've you've recorded a number of other albums independently. You've released a number of other projects of original tunes in both English and Portuguese. And do I have this right? Your music has appeared in 1100 episodes of of tv and yeah, music scores it's getting that, close to 1200 now yeah wow that i mean and and you've also won an emmy which honestly seems like they should have just given that to you given the amount of content that you've generated <laughs> thank you <laughs> how do you i mean with that amount of of production that you're doing like how do you set goals for yourself when you start a new project and make a conscientious choice about the direction that you're going to go Man, that's a great question. I don't know if I set goals as much as I get called to do things and um, the answer is usually, yeah, I can do that. And it, it, it's, it's this weird thing where um, because 
uh, this, this is going to sound like I'm sort of like glorifying myself, but it's a blessing and a curse. I have this gift where I can write and write and write. And, I, and then it, and, and at Berkeley, I got a degree in film scoring. So we had to study everything from, you know, Irish music, Southern Indian music, Andean music, Japanese no theater, Chinese pop, you mm. know, Afro pop, every style under the sun. And then you'd be able to dissect it and figure out how to do it. So I have that wheelhouse, but it also turns into a curse in that I never know really what to do because the option to do anything is there. So it's it, basically I suffer from the serial aisle syndrome. The serial aisle syndrome. <laughs> I love that. Which is when we were in Portugal, we had four types of cereal and we were happy. And then I came back to the <laughs> States and I go down the cereal aisle and there were so many options that I just left empty handed because I couldn't make up my mind. <laughs> you know, it's so it's like, ah, I want to do it all. Ah, there's no time. Ah, what do I do? I don't know. And so when somebody calls me to do something, it's a blessing because like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Whereas like wow. my own idea is like, uh, I don't know. So you need you need somebody to, to help light the fuse a little bit with you and then you're off. Yeah, you're, you're, they give me direction. Like, I, I feel like I'm a good team player. I don't feel like I'm a good leader. Yeah, and I love being a part of a team. That's why I love film scoring because I'm on a team and the director says, I need this. I go, no problem. And I go do it. Whereas like being the leader of a band, that just never quite suited my personality, my mentality. I'm very comfortable on stage being a lead singer and performer, but leading right. a band in the business side of things and creation, it's just not my wheelhouse. Not my forte. Let's come back to some of the, the that we were talking about at the beginning um, about putting the the Baha'i writing set to music. When did you start really getting into that and starting to develop that as as a as a craft? I had a real prejudice towards religious music. Uh, I just thought it was cheesy. I thought it was shallow. <laughs> and um, my ex-wife, uh, kudos to her. She, you know, called me on it. She said, "Well, if you think it's so crappy, why don't you write something that's not crappy?" <laughs> A star is born. A star, well, I mean, you can't argue with that's pretty good logic. And so yeah. it would still be another eight to 10 years before I would sit down and do anything about it. When I finally sat down with um, composing that album, I thought, well, if I'm going to do this religious album, then I want to write songs I want to hear. Mm. And growing up in the Baha'i community, I'm, you're, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's made, I would say, in the devotional mentality. This, this design to calm the heart, designed mm. to have the mind reflect. And that's, I think there's a place for that, and that's great, but that's not where I usually go when I feel closest to God. And I grew up as a rocker, I was a metalhead kid. And even mm. my mom, my mom's a concert pianist, and we'd always hear like Scarlatti, which is a lot more energetic, and, and she would play, you know, Chopin's Ballad Number no. One, which is really intense. Mm. Um, and so I grew up with this very high energy type of music and I wanted to hear something that was sort of rocking like that. So it sort of began that way. Like, what would I want to hear? What would make me feel closer to God? Well, that's, that's so interesting to hear your reflection on that. So tell me, tease that out a little bit more for me. What is, what is the experience for you when you feel that, that closeness? What, is, what does it feel inside of you? that you get when when you're listening to more energetic music it just it i don't know i guess maybe it pushes you, me into action it pushes me into out of complacency and you know for somebody who's a musician we all kind of suffer from low levels of depression and anxiety constantly 
because there's a, there's a world where we see the world and all of its problems, but and, and we know what's going on, but we don't have the resources or the manpower to change any of that. So it's a sort of powerlessness that goes on constantly with the, with the artists, with the musicians. So you're always seeing the world kind of through those lenses, and that can cause sort of a low-level depression and anxiety. So mm. the last thing I want to do is be settled into comfort, to relaxation, to ease. And there's certainly times for that where I've had a long day and I'd like to, you know, the silence is that for me. Whereas I want my music to push me into action. I want it to elevate that emotion where I feel like I want to leave my house and go do something. And I always say that, I, I said, you know, as artists, our job is to inspire people to want to be better versions of themselves. That, that's mm. sort of my definition of true art, if you will. And, you know, that's just my personal opinion on it. So I guess maybe that's, that's sort of what's going on behind the scenes that noggin of mine that actually dovetails nicely with um this first track the track that you selected oh amigo uh you compose this song i think if i if i read correctly you compose this song in honor of the roma youth of of portugal right yeah so tell me about that dedication what what was your thinking as you were uh composing that this was a real wonderful development in the Portuguese community, I would say. And you, you see, when I grew up in Portugal in the 90s, there was no relationship between the Portuguese and the Roma. Um, zero relationship. Whereas if you go to Spain, you could see them kind of integrated. They were allowed to vote in the 1950s. I mean, it's <laughs> pretty bad, but still, wow. there, was an, there was some sort of like relationship. Uh, I don't know if integration is the right word, but you, you could see there was an interaction between the Spanish and the Roma. And then the whole thing with like flamenco music, depending on which Spaniard you talk to, either they'd be proud and be like, yeah, that's our music, or they'd be sort of, uh, I don't want to say racist, but sort of like, no, no, that's their music over there. Mm. Sort of othering them. Where at least there was a dialogue. Whereas in Portugal, there was no dialogue. Zero. And so my personal experience, and this for some people is sort of shocking, was they lived on the outskirts of, t of town in tents, and you'd see this little girl holding her baby brother, holding her hand out, begging for alms. And this was a, you know, this is a pretty common occurrence for my, for me growing up in Portugal. So my friend Marjan contacted me saying, hey, we have this outreach. We've been going into these Roma neighborhoods and we've been doing children's classes and junior youth classes and all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. Can you send me some pictures? So she sends me the slew of pictures and all these people that are just like hanging out with the Portuguese and all this mixing going on and these relationships being formed and these friendships developing. And I, my mind was just blown. I was just like, this is the most beautiful thing. Like I'm getting goosebumps right now. I've been thinking about it. And, um, and she asked me, can you write a song for them? I said, yes, I, I could definitely write a song. So of course, I'm thinking, Rome, I want to do some flamenco influences there. And I'm not like a real flamenco guitar player, but I do my best. And uh, I put it in Portuguese, and I choose the quote from Baha'u'llah, which is, O friend, in the garden of thy heart plant not but the rose of love. And I cap it off there, because that's enough to do a whole song. Nada plan 
rosa do amor Nada plantes salva a rosa do amor Let's take a step back and... and hear a little bit about how it is this young metalhead kid from from the US uh, end up going over to Portugal and and how did that dovetail with your your musical education yeah yeah it's 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 a fascinating reality um because it wasn't something I ever wanted and um my whole life has been that whatever i want god's like that's nice and uh <laughs> we're going to do we're going to go over here eric just it'll be all right but I don't want to go. So I'm 15 years old and um, my parents decide to go on vacation to Portugal and they love it. And they come home and they sit me down and they say, how would you like to move to Portugal? And of course my answer is no, I'm a 15 year old American kid. The only thing I've ever known is America or at least, you know, Texas and New Mexico where I grew up. Okay. I don't know anything else. I'm a metalhead. I have hair all the way down my back. I dress all in black. I love Metallica and, and, Megadeth and Iron Maiden. That, that's that's my <laughs> world. High bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's my world. So we go to Portugal and I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I don't know any of the people. I don't know the culture. I've never tried the food. I don't know a single word in Portuguese. Mm. So mom gives me the choice to go to normal school or music school. So of course I sign up for the music school. Uh, thinking it's going to be like the school fame. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna live forever. And it turns out to be a classical music school, which was, okay. a, which was a total bummer um, <laughs> because I wanted to do rock and roll and my mother was a classical musician and I didn't have anything against classical music, but I saw how much she suffered because mm. she had six jobs in Santa Fe. Wow. Yeah. And so the other side of that equation was she was offered a job with uh, a pension in Portugal. So that's another reason they went. So she, she got to teach at the university. So here I am in this new school and uh, I have to go from Metallica to Mozart now. And I have to get a classical guitar and put away the electric guitar, put down the pick and grow nails in my right hand. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, it was really hard. That's pretty metal. You just have to paint them black, right? There you and go. You got to paint them black. <laughs> no, it was rough. And uh, I had long hair in a city where they had never seen guys with a long hair with long hair before so it was a daily barrage of being insulted by passers-by telling me to cut my hair every day mm. wow uh, that just made me more stubborn um but what doesn't kill you right so the wonderful thing about the portuguese not the passers-by but the, my friends themselves is that they're extremely hospitable they were more welcoming to me than any of my American friends growing up. And those were my formative years from age 15 to 20. What's interesting today is I identify now more as uh, Portuguese than I do as American, even though I have mm. no Portuguese blood at all. Mm. Mm. And, and so then from, from the musical side, you'd already been studying guitar by the time you went, it sounds like. And it sounds like you just took to it, that you had a, this natural aptitude and, and were were able to to study hard and 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 fall in with this with this new genre of music for you. Is that about right? Yeah, that's right. So I had done the let's see, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade uh, guitar at school, and I had taken private lessons from a gentleman named Craig Dell, who ironically was a classical and flamenco guitarist himself. Hmm. Um, and then when I got to Portugal, they let me come into the school on sort of an observational basis because obviously I didn't speak the language. 
but I could at least, you know, strive to do the musical side of things. But I had to catch up because I was coming into the 10th grade, excuse me, and these conservatories start at grade one. So these kids had already been doing 10 years of classical music. Wow. I, I didn't know how to read music. Wow. And no, let alone play anything classical. So I knew, I think I knew Leyenda from Albeniz. And I played it in front of my teacher, and, and, and it, like, the, it was so stark, the differences between Americans and the Portuguese. The Americans would be like, oh, that's really nice. Oh, that's great. That, oh, he's so good. Full of compliments, trying to boost the enthusiasm. And, the, and my Portuguese teacher was like, that's wrong. That, that's, <laughs> that's not how you play it. it. Just, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> just stop. And so my ego just got deflated and deflated and deflated. And, and I remember hating him and just be like, who is this guy? And I was so rebellious towards him. And he hated, you know, how rebellious I was because the Portuguese were very, you know, there was a good established hierarchy. You knew the teachers were the teachers and you, you, you knew you were a student and you followed um, that hierarchy. And whereas I was an American kid, like, no, we're all equals. We call our teachers by their first name, which doesn't happen over there, by the way. <laughs> no. You don't do that. Yeah. And interestingly enough, years later, I am now so grateful to him because he turned me into the guitarist I am today. And that might mm. be a compliment on one day, but he'd look at me today and be like, he's still doing it wrong. the songs that you picked um on on the list of of songs that inspire you is is vicente amigo uh ciudad de las ideas and tell me about about you know this this uh maestro of 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 spanish guitar and and his inspiration for you yeah i love vicente amigo he's um he's for me the god of flamenco if i could mm. if i could take a lesson from him i could die a happy camper um, I had the, I had the blessing of being able to see him in concert and, and when I was living over there in Europe and, um, I had never seen him. I didn't know much about the whole flamenco world. I didn't know any of this stuff. And I was just floored by his mastery of the instrument. I mean, this guy's flying all over the guitar and he never once looks at it. Um, and it was sort of that, that idea was sort of born in my mind of this, you know, the style of playing, which was kind of like classical but with rhythm, you know, yeah. it had these complex rhythms. And before I was ever a guitarist, I was a drummer. And so I liked classical guitar. I liked the feeling of what my fingers could do, but I felt like it was missing more rhythms, more complex beats and stuff. And flamenco sort of married the two. And I guess Vicente Amigo was sort of my, I guess my introduction to that world. Coming back to, to one of the, the songs that, that you wrote that takes its inspiration again from, from the Baha'i writings, um, the Harvest of Reason, 
the hook is is a quote from the Seven Valleys of Baha'u'llah, um, a text that it draws its literary inspiration from um, a, a Sufi form of uh, poetry. And um, the text, the the line, if I heard it correctly, it's when the fire of love is ablaze, it burneth to ashes the harvest of reason. Is that the right quote? That's the right quote. Yeah, from the Valley of Love. So, so tell me a little bit about what inspired that track, and and what was what was some of what you were working through uh, as you as you were thinking about that. Wow. So there there are so many developments in that song. I really wanted to encapsulate what it was like to feel insane, to be mad, to be crazy. And this is a topic and a lot of Baha'is aren't going to touch on this stuff, but this stuff is, you know, skirted around in my lifetime uh, and dealing with things like anxiety. And I've had major panic attacks and anxiety attacks where I felt, man, this, this feels like I can't come back from this. Hmm. I don't know if I can come back from this. And then, you know, being a huge fan of Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb and dealing hmm. with their reality of, of insanity. There's, I, I'd say for some of our us darker musicians, there's an attraction to that world and you got to be careful sure. not to go too far. Yeah. So the harvest of reason is really dabbling in that. What is it like to be so in love with something that you lose yourself? You lose it all. You lose your mind, you know? So yeah, it took on many iterations. Aside from sort of the, the production, what is the the message there. What is that that you're you're trying to work through? You know, going between your own expressions of this idea of of madness, of of self doubt. It sounds like also, and 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 then coming coming back to this quote from Baha'u'llah. Why why are you using that as an anchor for for the for the song? That's a good question. I don't I don't know so much as there's a message because that would imply sanity. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, it was really just as a moment of feeling lost and feeling uh, beyond lost. Just you're not able to voice the words. You're not able to even pick up that guitar to create the thing that you've always picked up for so many years. You know, it's that it's that shaky feeling at the core of your your spine of your your nervous system. It's this feeling that if you've ever plucked a chord and you see it vibrating and then knowing mm. what that feeling feels like in your nervous system where it won't stop vibrating. To me, that was a kind of insanity that I experienced when I went through some pretty tough stuff back in um, 2013 and 2014. Um, it wasn't so much a message like, you know, hey kids, don't do drugs. It was more like this is one reality that is, exists and has manifested itself in this lifetime. And I guess I chose that line from Baha'u'llah because it was the perfect fit for sort of what, you know, when fire the fire of love, of love is ablaze, it burneth to ashes the harvest of reason. And, and yeah, it's definitely that. The, a sort of love for me was ablaze, but it burnt so fiercely, it devoured everything. Who's got time to practice? Can't you see? I've lost my axe. It's driving me insane. It's mad. It's madness. So don't you cross this bridge. You'll drown. If you know what's best, you'll turn around and run. Run, run, baby, run, run until you found it. Run. There's none in here. We'll forget what I've done unless what I've done can be undone. 
You never know what is broke till you break like that. You never know where to bring till you fall in black. You never know what is mad till it pulls it to his head. When all is gone, you'll know why. When the fire of love is ablaze, it burns it to ashes. When the fire of love is ablaze, it burns it to ashes. When the fire of love is ablaze, it burns it to ashes. When the fire of love is ablaze, it burns it to ashes. The habit is the reason. This is what I'm talking about, where I think that listening to your music is really a rich experience. Because, to your point earlier about how certain religious music can really feel trite and you know facile, in this case, you know, I think what you're what you're playing with is, whereas in some cases it would be as simple as, well, the lyrics are the lyrics, and and you're supposed to take sort of a pat message of you know of 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 just love and 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 um and the lesson right the 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 instruction from a prophet or whatever the case may be you're 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 flipping it a little bit where where there isn't an easy answer there's not an answer that's coming from it if i'm hearing you correctly that it is the experience it is the 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 bewilderment that even comes from that connection with the divine that it can actually be scary right that it and and it has that mood and 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 i think that you've you've created something that actually puts to words and 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 presents a feeling of what that um that that sense of being you know ablaze and and sort of out of your mind <laughs> you know um, whether you come back from it or not. Yeah, and so I, I guess a little backstory to understand it is, uh, so I've been married three times. And I always joke seriously that I'm not the one to come to for advice on how to stay married. I'm the one to come to advice for how to not get divorced. <laughs> okay. Follow me? It's a good friend to have also. Yeah, and, <laughs> and so it was the breakdown of my second marriage. The song came out and... It was the realization that I have failed twice in love. Mm. And I don't, mean, I don't mean just like, uh, you know, a girlfriend breaks up with you. I mean, this is a marriage and now with a child. Mm. And the implications of, a, of, of the breaking down of an institution led me to have, you know, the greatest um, panic attack I've ever experienced. And it was frightening because... I mean, honestly, I was screaming and screaming and screaming in my car, and I couldn't stop. Mm. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I can get out of this. And just coming, being hit with the realization that I'm at the center of this failed relationship. And now, it, not only am I affected, but an innocent child who was two years old at the time, he's affected. And, you know, my ex-wife is affected. And now it's not just us who are affected, but two families are torn apart in this process. So at the crux of this song was really that breakdown and feeling just like, wow, when you, when you get married a second time, you think, okay, I'm not going to make the same mistake as last time. 
only to get to, to the other side and realize I've just made the same mistake as last time. How, mm. how, and, and of course the, the, the messaging is very low self-esteemy. How stupid am I to fall for this a second time? And, and that's, mm. a, that's a hard thing to say, but, but I think the positive side of that is what is it I'm doing continually that's contributing to this behavior? And that really forced me to go inward and look at what sort of behavior had I been doing over and over again that had led to this. Um, mm. And hopefully <laughs> I figured that out because I have, a stopped, I have stopped a lot of those behaviors, but it was very raw and insightful, but, you know, painful. That's a journey. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a journey. And it, and it sounds like unsurprisingly that, you know, music is part of that therapy, that, that it's a key element to sorting out some of those ideas and figuring it out. Yeah, I agree. Dites-moi d'où il vient, enfin je saurai où je vais Maman dit que lorsqu'on cherche bien, on finit toujours par trouver Elle dit qu'il n'est jamais très loin, qu'il part très souvent travailler Maman dit travailler c'est bien, bien mieux qu'être mal accompagné Pas vrai Où est ton papa Dis-moi où est ton papa Sans même devoir lui parler, il sait ce qui ne va pas Un sacré papa Dis-moi où es-tu caché, ça doit faire au moins mille fois que j'ai compté mes doigts. Hey. Où t'es, papa, où t'es Où t'es, papa, où t'es Où t'es, papa, où t'es Où t'es, où t'es, où papa, où t'es Où t'es, 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 où t'es, où papa, où t'es Thinking about family, thinking about difficult relationships, one of the other songs that you picked, uh, Strome, Papa Ute, uh, this is, I mean, just, I remember the first time I heard this song, such a devastating song about parenthood and longing and, and, and um, disappointment, you know? Um, what's the connection that you have on the themes of this, this song? Um, it definitely ties to my own son and being a father. The, the sort of the line in the song in French is like, we all know how to make babies, but we don't know how to make papas. Mm -hmm. And that ties directly into me wanting to be a father. Um, and then with this whole divorce and looking at my role as a father, I've had opportunities to, you know, take off and tour, for example, and further this music career. Um, and you come down to a, a crossroads. Do you tour or do you, you know, or do you stay home and be a dad? Right. Because unfortunately in today's society, I don't see how the two are reconcilable. So I decided to stay home and the sort of the studies that you see around fathers and the lack of fathers and how it affects children. It's just really painful. And for me, I see like, look, we had World War One, we had World War Two, we had the Vietnam War, and then Carter created the nanny state. And I won't get into details on that right now. But these things have just contributed to the absence of fathers, if not no good, healthy role models. And to this day, it's pretty, 
it's tricky, man. It's it's hard to find, in my opinion, good, healthy male role models for kids. And mm. certain studies are now popping up where, where they're, they're claiming that it's actually the father who teaches the children empathy, where it's the mother that teaches the children compassion. And I thought mm. that, that, was, that was a very interesting study. And the idea behind that is that through rough play, it's where the father teaches the child empathy. And so the child will rough play with the kid and the kid might hit too hard or, or wrestle too hard and the father will stop and go, whoa, 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 you're, you're, you're hitting too hard. That's, that's a boundary. And the kid will learn to gauge and pull back and, and pull their punches, so to speak, you know. And through that, they learn empathy. Um, and the mother, again, teaches compassion. And so you really need those two twin pillars for a child to be raised. Um, I don't believe in this notion of a single parent. And I have a hard time believing in just two parents because honestly, we lost the tribe and we're struggling to recreate the community. We really do mm. need, we need a lot of people to raise one kid. And we're so right. individualistic and independent here in North America. I'm in Canada, it's the same problem. We think we can all do it alone. And I think it's a lie that's been sold to us. So Papa Ute was a great example of this kid who's like, where's Papa? You know, where's my dad? Mm -hmm. You know, who am I? Who's going to teach me how to be a? Who's going to teach me how to be a man? Right. And right. so that really affected my decision to stay home, and hopefully, um, be some sort of <laughs> parent to, to my son Shiloh. Hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think I think uh, sometimes you hear music and it gives voice to one's own experience, you know, and to hear it in another language only underscores the universality of that experience, right? To I'll say that this is something that people are are experiencing no matter where they are in the world, you know, and it looks different and the conditions and the specifics are different. But that feeling, whether of of the the son calling to his father in this way or or being the father hearing it you know is one of those where where i i think you know it's wh when have i been in those situations when have i been the cause of those type of questions yeah um maybe not even to that you know dramatic effect but if like to your point if, if you're not careful if you repeat the same patterns you may find yourself there yeah yeah Absolutely. No. Friend, I hear your voice Through the rustling of the leaves Or the weaving of the thread upon the seams And all of these sounds Are a solace to my soul of a heart and love that always seems to know That you're always there for me When times are hard and I'm falling on my knees You hold me up and you never let me go I kick and scream, so you're holding on to me My Coming into a song that has a little bit of a like a positive and upliftment, your 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 song always there for me. Mm -hmm. I was surprised hearing this one because your voice is actually not on it. So 
is this a track that you arranged? Yeah, What's so both story? both tracks are, are for my new album that's coming out uh, hopefully this year. Great. And the title of the album would be called, called The Unfortunate Timing of Mr. Clockington. Okay. <laughs> As, of course it would. Of course it would, of course, because <laughs> I'm just, I'm weird. And it's the story of a clock who doesn't want to tell the time. He wants to tell the truth. Hmm. And he goes on this journey, of course, and it's, it's a concept record right now. Um, and that's one of the encounters he has is with a seamstress who teaches him about faith. Hmm. But essentially, he's, he's wondering about, you know, can we be friends? And she says, no, we can't be friends because I haven't pricked you yet. He says, what do you mean prick me? And he says, well, for two people to become friends, there's sort of a pricking that happens and it kind of hurts. But that's what <laughs> has to get past the the surface level of civility and politeness mm. and then we have to weave the friendship over time and it's this she goes into development of you know talking about you know faith is first conscious knowledge and then the you know good deeds as abdul baha said in the baha'i faith but the, it's this interesting conversation and, and the song becomes a representation of the story so there's these all these little sort of short stories and each song sort of represents that story and Harvest of Reason is him talking to an inebriated guitar player who's lost his touch. Uh-huh. Totally fictional character. Totally fictional characters. <laughs> uh, I still have my touch, guys. Um, and so it's this it's conversation about faith, and I was thinking about that today. Um, can faith really exist without trust? Because it's that thing that faith looks into the future, right? And, you know, mm. we look at the tablet of Ahmad from Baha'u'llah who says, rely upon God, thy God, and the Lord of thy fathers, right? But first it says, rely upon God. But how can you rely on something if you have no relationship with that thing? It's, but first he says, rely upon God, which is a future thing. Okay, I'm going to rely. I'm going to trust. And then he says, thy God. Oh, so it's a personal God. So it's a, it's a, it's, we have a personal relationship. But then he says, it's the God of your fathers. So it's this thing that's always existed in the past. He's always been there. He's got this history. And it's the same thing in, in what, when God talked to Moses in Exodus, right? He said, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It was that same concept. Like he's, right. the, he's this, got this relationship. There's this history. And so now that you have this relationship of trust, now you can have faith because you know, looking behind you, that he's always been there. There's always been that protection, that sort of looking after you, that sort of, I've got your back, that, that whatever it is you want to call it, that trust, and therefore now faith can be developed upon that. And so mm. the song Always There for me is about that. And uh, the bridge I really take from Rahia Khanum's uh, poem on, on faith and just kind of work it in there. So it's, yeah, I guess that, that's sort of what I'm, trying to dabble on in the song and you know i always fall short in getting these ideas across but i try no it's a beautiful song and i thought the, the you know the arrangement is is so compelling and to hear your thought process behind it it's it, it's exciting to think about it in a new way in of itself but then also to think about the um the fact that it fixed it into a larger narrative, because now I'm excited to hear the, <laughs> the larger narrative as well. I'm so curious about you as somebody who grew up with the Baha'i faith. Was it from childhood, from birth? Was it, Were both your parents uh, also 
Baha'is? Yeah, my, uh, I guess I'm kind of third generation in a sense, because my grandfather found the faith when my father was 18. And he told my father about it, but my dad didn't want anything to do with it. And then he would later go out and rediscover it on his own terms mm. and, and decide to become a Baha'i. And then he would meet my mom, who was, had become a Baha'i uh, in her own way and was sort of cast out of the family, so to speak, because she was the black sheep in a family of Southern Baptists. So for you then, growing up as with this as the norm, and you know your family ripping you out of your your um, uh, comfort zone as a teenager, you know this is a very delicate time to do something that really upends one's experience at the age of fifteen. Did you have this confidence about your your faith through through that whole period, or do you feel like you've you've also been on a winding and twisting journey when it comes to your own relationship with God? No, no, it's, it's definitely the windy uh, road for sure. I don't know anybody who's the straight and narrow person, uh, except maybe Abdu'l-Bahá, who's sort of the exemplar for us Baha'is. But uh, no, it's all windy. It's it's all topsy-turvy. It's, it's horrific. It's painful. Um, and there's moments of wonder and awe and, and being stupefied at the power and, and magnificence of God. And I mean, case in point, like I said at the, at the beginning, I, I have my desires and wants and things that that I think I'm going to do in this life, and, and God smiles and <laughs> says, no, you're going to go over here. Because if I had stayed in Santa Fe, New Mexico, I'd still be that metalhead, uh, and I'd have long hair in the back of my head, but none on top. <laughs> You know, and maybe doing the comb it's over. It's not a good look. Maybe, maybe really combing it over. I, don't, I would have been doing something there and still dressed <laughs> in black and lugging around these electric guitars shaped like V's. And um, I, I think what he had in store for me was, uh, you know, a million times more interesting. Um, mm. I think just, just the experiences of growing up in Portugal, for example, were just so wonderful. And as hard as it was in the beginning, I have lifelong friends that are just so dear to me. I mean, case in point, I'm in a classical music school. We get dressed up in tuxedos with bow ties and we go sing Mozart's Requiem in a thousand-year-old cathedral with a full orchestra. Who gets to do that at age 15? Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I wouldn't have done that in Santa Fe. I would have been playing, you know, Enter Sandman, <laughs> which is a great <laughs> also song. Also good. Not, not, the, not, not the, you know, hit on Enter Sandman. And the case in point, even with the divorces, as painful as they were, I mean, I'm in a wonderful marriage right now and helen my wife is just she's my rock and honestly if i if anything was ever left up to me it would just be a disaster helen was the last person i would ever have been attracted to just based on her experience she's a military rat she was a navigator in the air force she flew these giant helicopters that were designed to shoot down submarines she did a tour of you know of uh, Africa and the Middle East. And like, this is somebody who would never enter on my radar as an artist musician. <laughs> I was attracted to other artists and like-minded people, but she's been the most wonderful balm and, and companion uh, I've, I could never have dreamed of. And mm. she came into my life. And, and so it, it's, there's just been this sort of pattern of God always having my back and kind of gently moving or forcefully <laughs> moving me to places that I just, you know, I'm kicking and screaming and don't want to go to, you know, just like in, uh, mm. always there for me. I say I kick and scream, but you're always there for me. 
And so wow. we're kids. Ultimately, we're all kids and we got to have our tears of futility. And once we cried out, we're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready <laughs> for whatever you got in store for me. And, and we don't like it. And then we realize how awesome it is. Oh, you said the magic word. Ding, 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 ding. All right. So that, <laughs> look at that. That's an amazing, incredible, awesome segue to the last song that you picked, which I would have never, ever, ever in a million years guessed that this would be one of the songs that you would have picked (laughs) especially coming back to what you said at the beginning of religious music you know being i don't know what the word was that you said but like corny or whatever because this is like the most like stereotypical (laughs) yeah baby So, you know, my God is an awesome God. I mean, it's there. there's a feeling that you get when you listen to the swell on this song, but it's like, it's so uh, square, I think, in, <laughs> yep. in the oeuvre of like Christian worship music. Yes. So do you listen to, to Christian worship music a lot? Is that, is that, no, is it I, something about this song in particular? It was some of my Christian friends here, and it was also John Rezin, it's his fault, who got me into, uh, have you heard? Oh, Hill- I'm going to tell him that. Tell him oh, that. Oh, boy. Have you heard Hillsong Worship from Australia? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Oceans? Yes. That song is friggin' incredible. Yes. I mean, all right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Those, those guys have been doing a pretty, Pretty amazing job with worship music. The music ministry is great. I don't know if they're if they're their politics and 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 church, you know, whatever with their leadership and everything is is on the straight and narrow. But but the, they're not even going to ask. Not, I don't music. even want to know. <laughs> don't even care. Go ahead. And so like yeah, I love it. And John said to me, you know what? We need worship music in the Baha'i faith. Um, so we need mm-hmm. stuff like this, and that's that's when I wrote "Always There for Me." Um, Mm, and what wow. I, what I like about this the yes the very square, the very predictable, the very Velveeta. God is an awesome God. Um, it's very it's, potato salad with with apples and raisins. <laughs> oh, it's so American! It's so American, and I'm sure like the the black gospel community is just kind of doing this. They're just kind of putting their head you know heads down and just like ah oh, these white people. Mm. What are they doing? <laughs> but but it's it speaks to you so so what is what is your your feeling about about like what is what is it that this is doing to you when you listen to this song yeah it's definitely the watered down gospel right it's it it falls short but in my opinion what it does do well is it creates it creates community and gospel does this as well you know um and that's the thing i think we're lacking is that sort of community music that everybody knows that are easy to sing along to um that that have kind of no-brainer lyrics no-brainer chords, everybody can play it, everybody can sing along, and everybody knows it, and you can get together at a community, teach it quick, within five minutes, and then you can go. And so that's what I'm Mm. interested in, is finding stuff that can sort of bind the hearts. Because I come from a performance tradition, where I'm up on stage, and there's an audience observing the performer. And that's fine, and I'm 
curious now of how can we create more music like that. So that's sort of where Awesome God kind of falls in line with that. What you just articulated reminded me of this refrain that I feel like I'm hearing more and more in Baha'i communities that ultimately if 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 the watchword in the Baha'i faith is oneness and we are charged with the responsibility to break down further and further the um the prescribed roles and definitions that separate us um into a hierarchy of society that even when it comes to the arts what i hear even though excellence in the arts is is obviously cherished and and encouraged that as you're saying there's there's a role also for we should we should not underestimate the power of creating more spaces where people essentially say i can do that right we are in this together it's to actually it's it it is sort of a punk ethos in that i can do it just as well as anybody else can or it doesn't matter how rough and ready it is it's just the point that we are doing it right so the the process of um creating music together is the point um not the polished production you know that has its place but in the in in the in the sense of community worship the unity is 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 more highly regarded yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's analogous to fine dining, where there's a gourmet chef and he's, you're, you're going there for an experience versus a potluck. Mm. We're all going to bring food and we're going to have a joyful time, you know, eating all this, this buffet that everybody contributed to. And uh, there's going to be some really yummy food and there's going to be some questionable food. <laughs> 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 and you're gonna have it all and, but and, the intention the intention is clear the, yeah, intention. the intention is clear and and food is a wonderful unifying force um yeah i feel like there are songs but when you have more and more people from different cultures that are entering into it right and there's this emphasis on the diversity ever widening diversity of 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 the the community and the circle that's that's being embraced there that not everybody's got just sort of the same starting point and also the the jump the jumping on point might be like yeah that's not me you know we should be learning you know stuff in spanish right we should be learning to you know tune our ears to things that are going to be expressions that are in a um in the musical style of whatever the dominant immigrant group is or not dominant or you know like whatever the major immigrant group in our area is yeah, yeah. as opposed to saying this is the way behind music sounds it sounds like yeah yeah no i would never music I, from the 70s absolutely you know? absolutely yes <laughs> music from the 70s i would never uh say behind music sounds any way whatsoever i i did uh observe though that there were groups from the 80s in portugal had written songs that the whole portuguese baha'i community knew and they would sing those together so it certainly wow. had a community element to it. And, and it's definitely that diversity. We want to maintain that diversity in the, I guess, the umbrella of unity, right? And so it should happen organically if it happens at all. 
I, I just find it a little more difficult here in North America where we're also individualistic, you know? Yeah. Um, we see, you know, we see videos of friends in India and Africa who have made their own songs and they're rocking out and everybody's singing together. And it's like, wow, we, we don't really do that. You're the chosen one. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to lead us to the musical promised land. I want I'm, I'm <laughs> But yeah, the, but ironically, I don't think I write songs that are group oriented enough. Um, I, because I have that tradition of being the performer, everything has to be overly produced, overly complicated. I have to show and every song I have to show my utter chops. You know, but it sounds like you're you're you said before that you're leaning in an orientation that way where you're trying to contribute something that has this type of lyrical content that's going to, you know, lend itself to to that. Is that did I hear you? Did I understand you? correctly? Yeah, I'm just it's, it's sort of a new thought that's sort of formulating, I guess. That's sort of where my brain's heading. Like, I wonder. I'm excited to to see where that goes. The next <laughs> 1,100 songs will be will be focused. That's on right. That. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> somewhat of a, a home team advantage here in that the animating phrase for these conversations that I'm having takes its um, inspiration from this quote from Baha'u'llah that says that music is a ladder for our souls. And I wanted to ask for you, what does that mean to you? What has that phrase been for you as, as a musician and particularly a musician um, in the Baha'i community? Wonderful. I mean, I guess for me, it's the, the same story I, I tell over and over again, which is I was probably seven or eight years old and some song came on the radio and uh, I was doing the dishes and um, with my sister and I stopped what I was doing and I wandered over to the living room and, and I stood in front of the stereo system transfixed. And the thought, all I remember thinking was, I want to make people feel like that. And I don't remember what the song was, but I remember the feeling and it was just this wonderful, just sense of love that just came over my entire being. And body is too short of a word, but being is a better yeah. expression of what was happening. And so I think music being a ladder for the soul can manifest itself in multiple ways. It doesn't have to just be, oh, it makes me feel good. Uh, that's good. And... Like I was saying before, if it can inspire you to action, like I was saying before, I still believe the true purpose of the arts, and this is just my opinion, is to hopefully inspire people to want to be better versions of themselves. So somebody walks mm. away from a concert or an art gallery or a movie, and the next day they want to act upon the, those feelings, those good feelings of wanting to do better, then the art has done its job. That is wow. what I'm hoping, you know, music is a ladder for. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate um, your, I mean, really your vulnerability and and 
how much you shared your stories um, and being honest about about your process and some of the things that you've you've experienced as you've been writing the music. Um, you know, I think you know, can't can't argue with with uh, a guy who's got a, a repertoire that's you know eleven hundred plus songs deep. You, there's a lot of lessons in that. So and an Emmy on the shelf to uh, to cap it off. So um, I I appreciate everything that you've done and and uh, and and really I'm 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 genuinely excited to, to to hear more music from you with the with the new project that's coming out. Well, thanks, Jack. It's it's kudos to you and and uh, you're leading the conversation that you know I we had so much fun. So thanks for having me and uh, hopefully people can listen to this and and uh, not think that I'm too crazy and insane. All right, my friend. Thanks so much. All right, you have a good one. Thanks for making the climb with me this week on Soul Ladder Music. To listen to more from Eric Harper, visit ericharpermusic.com. As always, I'll have links to all the songs in this episode in our show notes. And check out the Soul Ladder Music playlist on Spotify for a running list of all the music played during the series. Thanks to Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music and to associate producer Aiden Keys. Keep tuning in to WOWD 94.3 FM, Tacoma Radio, for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at tacomaradio.org.